Uh, I'm grateful to Lighthouse Church. Um, I count it uh, just an immense honor and blessing to be able to serve in this fellowship. Um, you practice have made it such a joy. You've been so kind and welcoming. And it truly is uh, my privilege to be able to uh, shepherd uh, this group. And so at the outset, I just want to say thank you. And I love you. And I'm looking forward to the ways that God will use this ministry um, to grow us and um, for his glory. And um, I also want to thank Pastor Gav and Chris, uh, the core staff, and your small group leaders who are all an example to me of faithful and sacrificial service. You know, to be quite honest, practice wouldn't be possible without uh, their humility and love as we minister together as a team. And as I was reflecting upon this, it really does um, communicate to me just the blessing and the beauty of the church, which is why it's kind of a fitting topic as we kick off our short sermon series tonight on caring for one another. Where we're going to start by looking at the connection between uh, the church and our love for each other, specifically the title of uh, tonight's message that in the community of faith, consider one another. And this really gets at why we are pushing for this transition to a live stream format. And sure, as you can tell, um, our service might not be as polished as a YouTube produced video, but the ghetto-ness, as I like to call it, allows us to be present all together at the same time as a group. That to the best of our capability, we're still gathering to sing, study the word, and fellowship. And what we find is that when we come together to worship God, then we are then stimulated to love and care for one another. And this is a timely lesson because COVID, as I'm sure you all know, is dismantling some of uh, the most popular misconceptions about the church. Take probably one of the biggest ones that uh, the church we often associate with the building. Maybe for some of you, 501 Van Ness Avenue and all the good hustle and bustle that used to take place there. But at least for our time uh, this season, uh, none of that is happening. And it's all been stripped away so that perhaps God can teach us the essence of what it means to be the church. That church and subsequently even caring for one another can't be bottled down and condensed to a building, a day or time of the week, you know, a set of beliefs to affirm or duties that we're obligated to carry out. No, the Bible tells us that Christians love the church because we are the church, that we love to be the church. So tonight we'll look at this dynamic, this dynamic of the church and therefore caring for one another. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack them open, turn to that famous passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I'll go ahead and read our text, and then we'll pray for our time. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, this is the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opens for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray. God, what an opportunity we are afforded to even utilize technology that we might come together as a fellowship and draw near to you. Oh, Lord, what a blessing and undeserved grace uh, to know you, to be in relationship with you, that you would commit yourself to a people, to your church, to love them, to unswervingly be about our good, our joy in Christ, that you would uh, desire for us to be like your son and therefore to represent him and how we love one another, how we uh, exalt Christ, how we worship you, and how we care for each other. And so, Lord, I pray that this passage would sink into our hearts, it would grip us, convict us, it would expose ways in which we haven't been lived in accordance to it, that uh, through conviction, through repentance and faith, we might be all the more zealous to apply the truths of Scripture. Be with us now. May your spirit guide our time and may it be profitable for the equipping of the saints. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think the temptation for us is just to jump straight into the nitty-gritty detail, to look at the nuts and bolts of caring for one another. But that's not where the author of Hebrews begins. He starts, actually, with God. And we have to get the order right. Otherwise, we're going to lose both the motivation as well as the example. Before we leap into action, the writer has us marvel on how Christ cares, how Christ loves his people, the church. So first, our, our main uh, <clears throat> point, our first point is how Christ loves the church. Look again at verse 19. The author writes, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we'll just pause right there. Our passage opens with a therefore, which unpacks and elaborates the author's previous train of thought. He is summarizing all that he's laid out in chapter 10 already, primarily the work of Christ as the high priest. And now the author is tying all the loose ends together and bringing it all to bear. In these verses, the author sketches a particular scene. These words and descriptions are affiliated with the tabernacle, with meeting and coming before God. And that would have triggered a very vivid memory. You flash back to the Old Testament. Do you recall how difficult it was to approach? God, even for the Israelites, the very people of God. An entire tribe, the Levites, they were dedicated as priests to help mediate between God and his people. And within this select tribe, you have the house of Aaron responsible for overseeing sacrifice and the upkeep of the temple. Within this house, you had one individual, one person who was appointed as the high priest to represent the entire nation 
before God. Such exclusivity and precision on one who is permitted to bring offering to God. But that wasn't all. Not only were there rules as to who could approach God, but even the meeting place, even the, where they would congregate, had strict restrictions. The temple was divided into two rooms. And so further back, God's personal glory dwelt in the room called the Holy of Holies. And no one can just barge in and demand audience with God. No, a thick curtain sectioned off this sacred room. A massive veil towering about 70 feet high and sometimes weighing up to a couple thousand pounds. And if you were there, if you were looking at this curtain, you understood. You knew its purpose. It separates. It veils sinful people from the holy presence of God. The curtain shielded wretched sinners from God's consuming glory. And through the curtain, only the high priest entered the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to represent the people before God. Get that. One person, one day a year, to commune with God. And so it's with that history and background in mind, every reader of this letter, they would have found these verses staggering, unbelievable. The author of Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the holy places. We have the right of entry. We're allowed access. Now, before we swell with pride, we don't gain entrance to God by our own strength or merit. The writer finishes, verse 19 states how Christians can have access by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20 shows Christ granting access through his flesh. You see, Jesus, the high priest, well, he brings a better sacrifice. Not the blood of blemished animals. No, he sheds his own blood. He rips the curtain from top to bottom when his body is ripped on the cross. He is the great high priest who does not die, but continues to preside over the house of God on your behalf. That in Christ, you can have unshakable confidence before the one who dwells in the holy of holies. You can enter in. That's the gospel, that it gets you back to God. You see the sequence here. Before we ever come to God, it comes to us through his son. This is the depth of his son's love for his people, for Christ's love for the church. This is the extent he would expend himself to redeem registers back into the family of God. But I, what I want you to notice is I stopped at a very awkward part, right? At the end of verse 21. And the reason why is because these verses, they're only a setup. They're an introduction to the author's main charge. And so he transitioned. He moves from explanation to exhortation. In fact, our passage tonight is just one long sentence. It shows us how woven these two ideas are. If this is how Christ pursues and loves his people, well, something ought to be expected of us. If this is how Christ loves his church, it demands a response from those who make up the church. So we'll look now from Christ's love for the church to our second main point, to how Christians love the church. 
And this is spelled out for us primarily in three commands, three expressions for how we love Christ and the church. So that's the, the second main point. And here you could consider subpoints. So first, the one of the first expressions for how we how Christians love the church and love Christ is by drawing near. We resume back in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now you can imagine a number of charges the author could give. In light of Jesus' shed blood and his priestly work, purify your relationship, clean up your speech, evangelize the lost. But the first exhortation is simply to come close. I love that draw near and you need to pick up on the tone of this it's a strong command but it's married with tenderness it's both charge and yet compassionate let us draw near this word for draw near is most often used for prayer and worship and it gets at the heart of what the author is stressing to us that there is no better place for the saved to be than before their savior this is supposed to be regular, continuous, and essential. That drawing near in worship occupies the highest place in your life. While quarantined, I think it's easy to forget this, to feed our own interests, to serve the God of me, because we are pretty much on our own right now. Maybe we even read some of these verses in such a manner. We interpret these commands through the lens of, well, what's in it for me? What does this mean for me? But realize, in context, the author of Hebrews here is addressing a community of believers. That the whole frame of this passage deals with the people of God, with the brothers, with the plural, us. Yes, you are to draw near to God, but what happens individually overflows to what happens corporately. The author of Hebrews is not as concerned about singling out a person as he is exhorting a people. See the difference? It transforms then how we view the church. It's no longer about just my, pre my, my preferences, solely about what I can get out of it and whether showing up to a Zoom event suits me. No, it's flipped. It's now about the body of believers. What role then will I play in helping my fellow brothers and sisters in drawing near and knowing Christ better? How can I foster and encourage the joy of coming close to God through my words, my participation, my service? How can I care for others? You see, this has implications for not only our attitude about church, but even our approach to church. You know, growing up as an Asian, surprise, surprise, my parents were all about academics. You know, if I came home with an A minus, they would sit me down and say, Alan, our hearts are heavy. We are deeply concerned. Why a minus? I mean, in my family, B goes uh, for bad. And C meant change your last name because you're cut off. You know, you can no longer represent the Thai family. And maybe you can relate with that 
uh, sentiment. And perhaps even as you've gotten older, you've incorporated, adopted this ethic, this ambition as your own. For those of you with jobs, you carefully mark out your calendar with important work dates, the big meetings, the yearly review, so that you can schedule your life around them and clear out your weekend heading into the interview or presentation. Sign off of all social media so you can focus and be ready. You'll even go to bed early, right, before 12, just so that you can be well rested for the next morning. Why? Because work matters to you. But can I gently ask, does God, do you place as high of a premium on the privilege of drawing near? Is it so ridiculous to think as Christians, dearly loved by God, that we should make sure we're getting enough sleep on Saturday so we're not slumping on Sunday? Is it too far-fetched and tedious to free up our schedules so that we can draw near to God without that nagging itch to dive back into our pillows, our phones? Look, I'm not saying that this will be a walk in the park. It requires preparation, discipline, especially these days, right? where it's easy to multitask in front of our computers or to be distracted when we're sitting on the couch. No one is around to watch and judge us. I mean, keep us accountable, right? My friends, let's be honest. Aren't these the moments our hearts are really exposed for what we truly value and prize and treasure? Church should be the pinnacle of our weeks because it is a privilege to draw near to Christ and to each other. If you see church as a sheer duty instead of delight, well, frankly, you're missing the whole point. You know, if I came up to you and I asked you, hey, since I'm a father, how many times every day do I need to kiss my kids? That's disturbing, right? It reveals something terribly wrong inside of me, in my heart that I don't have a parenting problem. I don't have a kissing problem. I have a love problem. Beloved, if you're asking how many times do I have to go to church? How many events do I need to stream this and that? Might I suggest you don't have a church problem. You don't have a time or streaming problem, but you might have a love problem. You fail to see how blessed you are. Because the Old Testament saints, they could only dream of such a command. They would kill for the opportunity to hear, draw near. And listen, they literally did. Bloody sacrifices were required just to darken the temple doors. The author of Hebrews is coloring in this full picture with heart sprinkled with Christ-sufficient blood, and by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, you can draw near. So why wouldn't you? The second way we demonstrate our love for Christ and his church is not only in drawing near, but also in holding fast. Our second sub-point, holding fast. We'll pick up in verse 23, look in your Bibles. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The hope in this verse 
fixes our eyes on the prize, on the day when God's promise will come to fruition and we enjoy the culmination of drawing near. We are finally with him forever. And this season of COVID, I think has sensitized us towards this longing. You know, we fear seeing our loved ones getting sick, our applications getting rejected by the company, our nation crumbling, our plans drastically altered, and it's caused us to cling to God's promises. And as believers, we're to cling together. We need a community to hold fast. We care for one another because we also need to be cared for. And that's what's so great about the church, is it not? It's a mishmash of all shapes and sizes. You have people from different upbringings, people from different social, economical, political, and ethnic backgrounds. You have engineers, firefighters, stay-at-home moms. You have grandpas, young families, students, babies. You have people who love Korean drama. You have people like me who just don't get it. But this assortment of personalities, giftings, and experiences is what enables us to endure something as difficult as this pandemic. Because the strength and skills of another person can sure our weakness. Despite all our messiness and quirkiness, there is something about this community that trumps all differences and binds us together. This community is built upon the only certain foundation, the gospel and the hope we have in Christ. It is the place where diversity doesn't destroy unity and where unity doesn't work against diversity. But holding fast to our hope and to one another, this all serves to magnify the greatness of what we are united by, our desire to love Christ and to make him known. And let me tell you, you're going to need the church. And that's why elsewhere, Paul describes the church as a body. Because you can't sever the members of the body without dying or being seriously handicapped. Everyone is indispensable because everyone is part of the same body. How else will you hold fast? Because guess what? The reality is there are going to be valleys in your life, low times in your walk times when you are tempted to doubt God, times when you feel that you are on the precipice of falling into sin or even forsaking your faith. You need the fresh joy of a new believer. You need the wise counsel of a saint who has walked long with God. You need the body of Christ to hold fast. And shelter in place has made this apparent because we've witnessed the folly of placing our hope in anywhere else. I mean, just look at the world and how it's fared. There's a reason this nation feels so untethered, like it's spiraling out of control. There's no true anchor. All the hopes in this world, money, job security, even leaders, well, they've been dashed to pieces. But we as believers have something more sure. And we have a community to assure us of it. God has gifted us a family of believers that we might remind one another of the hope we have in Christ. Where else are you going to go when you're lonely because of COVID? Where you're timid in your faith? 
Where else will you go when you're struggling with anxiety about your future or just angry? Where else will you go when your heart faints at loving difficult people in difficult times? I'll tell you where. The church. The church is where you go. Look, I'll be the first to admit, I don't go to church because I'm perfect. No, no, no. I go to church precisely because I'm not. The times I feel in complete shambles, the church is a foundation to support and hold me up. The church is a safe haven to be refreshed, to have our minds refocused, our hearts recalibrated. When fellow believers care enough to steer me and you towards God in the midst of whatever we're facing, pandemic included. We love the church because we gather together in relationship to encourage and admonish one another to hold fast and remember God is faithful to his people. God is true to his word. The author of Hebrews gives us one final exhortation for how Christians love Christ and his church. It's where we go to practice considering others. Our last sub point, considering others. We see this in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, what you need to first understand is the force of this verse. The ESV translators have smoothed it out for us, but I don't want you to miss the main thrust. The verse literally reads like this. Let us consider each other. Let us consider each other towards the purpose of stimulation of love and of good works. Did you hear that? The emphasis isn't on thinking about stimulation. The emphasis is on thinking about others. The author commissions, let us consider one another and let that consideration then drive you to stimulate. I'm not splitting hairs here. This is significant. We can't put the cart before the horse. Considering others is what motivates and fuels and our actions, our care. So let me slow us down. Just because you do a lot of things, it doesn't necessarily mean you are obeying this verse. Just because there is a lot of movement and serving doesn't mean there's a lot of considering. The writer of Hebrews is very insightful. Our deficiency in love and good deeds is not because we lack action, but because we lack thinking. We don't think deeply enough about the people. Our attention must be given first to others, not just the deeds themselves. And this is challenging because my guess is that for this group, we are predominantly task-oriented people. Maybe some of you, you love to-do lists. You know, you wake up, Every morning, exciting to make a new one. You want something tangible to work with, and, and you're incredibly good at it. You know, put a rock in your hand, and bam, you can transform it into a cake or computer. You can, you're productive. You can just manufacture it out of thin air. But the author of Hebrews is so keen here because he wants you to pause and think to pull the brakes that you might mull over, meditate, and consider other people. Why? Because thinking leads to loving. 
let me illustrate. If I merely do my husbandly duties, I degenerate into a heartless robot, right? Must take out trash, say kind word, this peacefully. I have reduced my vibrant relationship into little mindless missions. But when I focus on my wife, when I really consider her, who she is, her personality, her strengths and weaknesses, who God has created her to be and who God desires her to become, well, that will stimulate me to love her, not some generic abstract person, but to love her specifically. It will spur me towards the right encouraging word that she needs to hear or the specific way she needs to be served. You know why some people seem so deliberate in their words and works? Because they have deliberated upon others. You know why some people are so intentional in their love and good deeds? It's because they are so full of intent towards others. Their care is backed by consideration. Look, everyone will be encouraged differently. And that's why considering is the key. If some of you need to be loved by a gentle correction. Others of you need to be built up by a firm word, maybe even a rebuke. Some of you are stirred by another's humble service. Others of you just need to be nudged and pushed to seize the opportunity to minister. Some of you need a hug, which we unfortunately can't do in this season. Others of you need a, a swift kick to the butt. Consider others. The author of Hebrew grounds us here because the application, well, they're endless and different for every individual. But when our eyes are latched onto people, not projects, but people, that will help us to love them rightly and effectively. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like the author leaves us without any guidelines. You look at how this verse ends. He cares immensely, yes, about the principle driving us, but he also cares about the actual practice. So he gives us a tip. He says, stimulate. And this word for stimulate is very interesting and illustrative. It's a compound word of coming alongside and cut or sharpen. So come alongside someone and sharpen them. I mean, this is violent if you really think about it. The author of Hebrews is a spiritual gangster. He's saying, walk up next to someone and then you shank them, stab them towards love and good deeds. Now, obviously, disclaimer, don't get all crazy, right? It's just painting a very powerful, memorable image. It's the idea of provoking, of instigating others, but towards good. Be this purposeful and potent in your consideration. Think through what will sharpen this person to love and good deeds. But this culture of considering can't be fostered without one simple reality. The members of the community need to meet regularly. How else will you consider others if you don't see them? Which is why we've changed up and tried this new format for practice. We're experimenting because we understand the need to have people put before us, even if it's a grainy webcam video. Sure, it's not the same as meeting physically in person, but it's better than being isolated alone with just a YouTube link. 
the author of Hebrews understands the necessity of this personal connection. You know, I've benefited myself. Like there are faces that I've never seen before now that we've shifted to this new uh, structure. And so it's helped me put faces, uh, put names to faces of people I need to be praying for, reaching out to, loving and caring for. And the author of Hebrews would affirm this. Look again at verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here the writer divides people into those who consider others and meet versus those who neglect to do so. You see, back then there were some among them that were already slipping away and the consequences were severe. Now, all you have to do is glance at verse 26. He, he continues and he writes, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. I mean, no soft peddling here. Either you are deliberately considering others, meeting together to the best of your ability to obey the word of God, or the author of Hebrew concludes you are deliberately sinning, disobedient to the knowledge of the truth by neglecting to meet together. You know, one of my concerns about this quarantine is how we may come to believe a decentralized and virtual church is sufficient for the Christian life. The longer shelter in place goes, the more likely people may assume and conclude, well, do I even need to return or commit to the church? Yeah, I'm doing just fine. I'm surviving. I'm doing well even. I can stream a sermon, catch up with a friend on Zoom. I don't need the church to be a Christian. To which I would emphatically respond, that's wrong. Wrong. You do. You don't need the church to become a Christian, but you need the church to be a Christian. Now, let me explain myself. Church is where the Christian life is lived. So in the same way that I don't go home to my wife to become married, but you better believe I go home because I am married. Sure, like COVID, there may be a season where we're apart, say, because of a work trip or something like that. But the inclination of the heart is to be together. It's a matter of being, remaining, and growing in that relationship. So, sure, yes, technically, you don't need the church to hear the good news of Christ, to receive the gospel, and to be converted, to become a Christian. But you need the church to be to continue to live as a Christian. You need the church to be a God-honoring, Jesus-following, word-obeying Christian. How else are you going to heed the instructions of Jesus, especially the one another's? Let me just give you one example, a very popular one. John 13, 34 to 35, where Jesus speaking to his followers, says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, not for the world, but if you have love for one another. Jesus is not referring to a generalized love for all people. He's talking about a pointed, a specific love, a love for one another, love for other brothers and sisters in Christ, so that everyone else will know that you are a disciple. You see, the world is supposed to look from the outside into the church and be so stunned by this divine, unique love that Christians have for one another 
that the only possible explanation is that Jesus is real and that you are his disciple. Beloved, this is but one of the many commands we are given to obey in the context of the church. In fact, almost all the New Testament books were written to churches, to local gatherings of believers, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus, to Titus so he could instruct and oversee the church, the letters of John for the fellowship of believers. Even Revelation is written to seven churches. Think about that. How will you ever obey God's instruction for the church without the church? How will you ever care for one another without a community? The author of Hebrews ends on this note in verse 25. Don't neglect meeting together, even if it means resorting to virtual uh, technology. But continue encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is he referring to? We're talking about the end. The day when the culmination of our faith, hope, and love will reach their finality. A day better than even when coronavirus is gone, because even then, we'll still yearn for more. For the day when who we long for, who we gather for in the church presently, will be manifested when we see the face of Christ and are with him forever. In the last battle, C.S. Lewis closes his final book in the Narnia trilogy, and he describes the beginning of the end like this. And as he, referring to Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover in the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Praxis, long live and look for the better day to come because it is the best day. And until then participate in celebrating together that day in the now, in the church. Christ loves the church, so we love to be the church and care for one another by drawing near, holding fast, and considering one another. Let's pray. God, your word attests to us that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing down to joint and marrow, splitting between soul and spirit, exposing uh, our thoughts and our, the intentions of our hearts. And we pray that even as it does its holy work, Lord, uh, Lord, we would be directed to you and uh, to the truths that have been uh, laid before us in Hebrews, Lord, that we might be stimulated that we might think much of Christ and therefore think much of others and ways in which you have entrusted us a gift and abilities to bless the body of Christ. That we might love you and love people and care for hurt needs, especially during this time where we are separated 
may this be the training grounds in which a heart of service and care is fostered and nurtured, that we might be a fellowship defined and known by our love for one another. We ask that your word will continue to uh, work upon our hearts to conform us to the image of Christ, uh, that our joy might increase in him and that our lives might be changed and transformed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.